Oh. Hey, everyone. My name is Zach Daniel, and it's an honor to get to share God's word with you today. My wife, Christina, and I got connected with Antioch when we were teenagers. We actually met in the college ministry at a summer life group, and uh, we eventually got married. We went through the discipleship school here at the church, and God used this church family to impact and bless our lives in so many ways forever grateful for y'all, your love, and your investment. We served on the college leadership team, and then God called us to share Jesus in North Africa with people who had never heard of him. And we served with the Antioch team that was there for a number of years. Our oldest daughter, Sparrow, was born there. And then God called us to Dallas. And for the last number of years, we've served with the Antioch Church in Dallas. I've been the lead pastor there. And by God's grace, we've seen people saved, healed, delivered, disciples made, churches planted in our city, in our nation, and in the nations. It's been amazing and challenging and beautiful all at the same time. In this last season, God uh, led us to raise up a new generation of leaders to lead the church forward into a new chapter and call my wife and I back to our roots. We're both from Waco uh, and we are moving back to Waco in this season. We're excited to serve on staff here at the church and to get to be a part of this spiritual family that's meant so much to us and blessed us so much. It feels like we are home again. I wanna show you a picture of them for those of you that don't know them. Uh, There is my wife in the picture. She's on my right. We just crossed the 20 year mark of being married, which is amazing. And when you look at her and then you look at a guy like me, I know the question is, how did a guy like you get a girl like that? And when uh, Mr. James is singing about the evidence of God's goodness in my life, she's one of the evidences of God's goodness in my life. So grateful for her. On my left in the picture is our oldest daughter, Sparrow. She's 15. Eli is 13. Jasper is eight. And River is five. And uh, we are in the process right now of moving. Uh, They wanted to be here, uh, but but just with everything wrapping up, we couldn't make it all happen. But we're so honored to get to jump in to uh, this community again in the season. I think my in-laws are in here, Frank and Linda. There's my in-laws, love them, and uh, grateful that we get to be close to them as well. We are in a series going through the book of Ephesians. And the title of this series is Inheritance, because we're learning about the inheritance that we have received in Christ. And I wanted to ask you a question today. Have any of you ever received an inheritance? Just raise your hand if you have received an inheritance. We got a few. About a year ago, uh, right around this time, I got a strange email in my inbox. There was a friend from church who emailed me and she said, hey, I have been given an inheritance, an inheritance of sports cards, not sports cars, sports cards, right? An inheritance of sports cards. And I know that you and your boys, uh, your kids, Uh, Y'all like these cards and I I wanted to give them to you. I wanted to give this inheritance to you. Now, if you're from a certain generation, you remember receiving unsolicited emails from princes and princesses of faraway lands who had received an inheritance and out of all the people on the earth wanted to share it with you, though you'd never met, don't worry about that. If you would just send them your social security number, and your bank account information, they would send that inheritance to you, right? This was not that. I actually knew 
uh, this woman, she was a part of the church, but I wasn't quite sure what is this inheritance of sports cards? Were these a few cards that were left to her by some relative or was this a massive collection? What did this mean? And were these valuable? And if they were valuable, does she realize that they're valuable? And I want to make sure that she knows, you know, what she's doing. And so we trekked over to her apartment, myself, my kids. It's super hot like this time of year. And, you know, Dallas can be a concrete jungle. So we're going through just all the concrete and the heat, making our way to her apartment and trying to figure out what is about to happen. And we walk in and to her small apartment and she has boxes upon boxes upon boxes of sports cards, like thousands of cards. And I'm like, are you sure that you want to give these to us? Like, don't you realize they, they might be valuable? I got to let you in on a little something about myself. Probably from the time I was nine, maybe the time I was 12, I spent all of my allowance, every odd job I could earn money for at Bankston's there on Valley Mills buying sports cards. And so I'm kind of reliving my childhood in this moment. And I'm thinking like, what is going on? And she's like, well, I'm sure there's some valuable things in here and I'm sure there's some stuff that's not valuable. I just really wanted y'all to have this inheritance. And after checking with her five, six, or maybe 20 times that she was sure, she was like, yes. And so we started loading these boxes in the car and driving home and wondering what is this gift that we had been given? So we get into our house, we take all the boxes out, we put them on the kitchen table and we're starting to go through them. And I go into uh, full on dad mode, full on dad mode. Now my kids, they like those uh, rubber shoes Crocs and they always make jokes. Like if they have to actually move around when they're wearing those, they go into sports mode, they flip the strap to the back of the heel so they don't fall off, right? Well, as dads, we have a mode we can get into as well when we have some wisdom that we need to impart to our, our kids. And I find myself going into full on dad mode in this moment with my kids because I want them to understand what we've been given. And we're going through these cards and we're pulling up old players from long ago. And I'm trying to describe to them, wow, this guy did this and they played here and they did this. And my kids are looking at me and I don't know if they're tracking me, but I'm excited, full on, full on dad mode. Now, Let's be honest. Uh, I wanted them to understand what they've been given. I wanted them to understand the inheritance. And I wanted them to really appreciate what they've been given. That this was something God put on someone's heart to do for us. I wanted them to see this is a gift from God. And I also wanted them to appreciate what this lady had given us, that they would value it. And that they would steward these cards well. That I wouldn't find them, you know, in the backyard, uh, in the rain, or like that they wouldn't decide, okay, I'm gonna throw these at my siblings, like, you know, Chinese stars. They wouldn't be like that, that they would really, you know, use these well. And so I'm trying to explain that to them. And uh, with this particular inheritance that we received, there were some good cards in there, some really cool cards, very grateful. And there were a lot of 1992 Texas Ranger backup middle infielder uh, that only, you know, you and your mom would appreciate having that card if that was you. And if that is you, I have 17 of them that I will give to you, right? There was a lot of extra in there. And then there were some real treasures in this inheritance. Now, why in the world am I telling you that story? When we read through the book of Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, he is in full-on dad mode. 
He is their spiritual father. He was a part of seeing the initial church come to the Lord and get started. Now he's writing them a letter and he wants them to understand the inheritance that they have received in Christ. He wants to make sure that they know. So he's in spiritual dad mode and he's pouring out wisdom to his spiritual kids. He doesn't just want them to know about it, but he wants them to understand how much Jesus loves them and the goodness of God and the generosity of God to give them this inheritance that their hearts might be moved, that they might know that they're loved by God, that they might love God in return. They might be grateful. He's trying to touch their hearts and he wants them to steward the inheritance that they've been given and not squander it to take what Jesus died to give them and really to use it well, to steward it well for God's glory, their joy and the good of their neighbors. And so he is spending chapter after chapter, verse after verse, pouring into his spiritual kids. And we get the privilege now 2000 years later to gather around this letter as a church family. And the Holy Spirit wants to teach each one of us about the inheritance that we have received in Christ. I want you to know whether you've ever received an inheritance from another human, if you are in Jesus, that God has an inheritance for you. Amen? God has an inheritance for you. Just say with me, I have an inheritance in Christ. We have an inheritance in Christ. I'm gonna have you convinced by the end of the message. We're gonna be warmed up on this. And we're going through this so that we would know it, so that we would cherish what God has done on our behalf and that we would steward it well in our lives and in our community. So with that, if you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter three, that's where we're gonna be today. As you go to Ephesians chapter three, I'd love for you to join with me in prayer. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. I pray even as we gather, Lord, that our hearts will be open, that our minds will be open, that our ears will be open to the things that you're wanting to speak today. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you take from what is yours and would you make it known to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. So Paul is writing to them and he says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in one promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom 
and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. This incredible passage of scripture, Paul is speaking to the Ephesians about their inheritance in Christ, specifically the aspect of their inheritance, the church. That they, through coming into Christ, that they, through being a part of Christ, are now a part of the church. And that's what I want to speak with you about today. And I want to share with you that God's vision for the church is bigger, it's better, and it's more beautiful than you or I have understood. God's vision for the church is bigger, it's better, and it's more beautiful than you and I have understood. Let's start with God's vision for the church is bigger. I want you to turn, I want you to turn your attention to verse 10. As Paul writes, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So what's he saying? He's saying that God has a plan for the church. God has a vision for the church. God has a purpose for the church. And his purpose for the church is that through the church, that the manifold wisdom of God might be on display. So what does manifold mean? Manifold means many-sided. Many-sided, like a diamond, how it's so beautiful, you can't capture it in just one look, but you have to turn it around and see all the different facets. Well, the wisdom of God, the glory of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God, the character of God, what God is like is so breathtaking. It can't be captured in just one look. There's many sides to it. And God wants to display his glory, his wisdom, his goodness through the church. Now that's a blow away statement because we're talking about the uncreated God who in himself is all beauty and majesty. And he wants to display that majesty through this people called the church. Wow, that's a big vision. And as a pastor, I get really excited when people encounter the Lord through the church. I love when people who are part of church say, man, I, this church really helped me to know Jesus through the way that this person mentored me or this person prayed for me or the thing this person shared, the way we love one another. I, I love that. I love hearing stories like that. I love hearing how the church displays the glory of God, the wisdom of God to our neighbors through the way that we love people, the way that we serve people, the way that we share our faith with people. I love hearing those stories and seeing cities impacted. I love thinking about the church displaying the glory of God in our nation and seeing our nation impacted by God's wisdom displayed through his people. In fact, this week, we're hosting a conference for all of our church plants around the nation coming in. There's gonna be testimonies shared of what God's doing to display his glory, his wisdom through the church all throughout our nation. I love that. I love hearing stories of God displaying his wisdom to the nations through the church. I remember first getting involved with Antioch and hearing Jimmy talk about God's heart for the nations and this conference called World Mandate. And I'm like, man, that is a really big vision. That's a huge vision that a church would be a part of displaying God's wisdom to the nations. I was like, I wonder where Jimmy came up with that. And then I started to read the Bible more and I realized that vision didn't originate with Jimmy and Laura. They were just teaching us what the Bible said. God's vision for the church was that he would display his wisdom to the nations through the church. Jimmy was sharing with us God's vision. And I love those stories. 
But what I want to point out here is that God's vision for the church is even bigger than that. His vision for the church is even bigger than you and I experiencing him, even bigger than us impacting our city or our nation or the nations. God's vision for the church is that through the church, through people like you and me in Christ, that he would display his manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about there? Well, when Paul talks about the dark spiritual forces that are at work in our world, when they are impacting an individual, he uses terms like Satan or demons to talk about how people are lied to and manipulated and oppressed. But when he's talking about those forces at work, not in a single individual, but in a community, a city, a nation, or a kingdom, he uses the terminology powers and principalities or heavenly rulers. And so what Paul is saying here is that God's plan for the church is so big that he wants to display his wisdom, his glory, his majesty through the church, yes to our city, yes to our nation, yes to the nations, but also to the entire cosmos. That's staggering. His vision for the church is much bigger than we have imagined, much bigger than we have understood. And you can imagine the Ephesians, you know, maybe they're meeting in their version of a life group, seven or eight people there, and they're hearing this. And they're looking at one another like, really? Like, we're doing good just to meet together. And we try to do a worship time, and nobody really sang. I don't know if you ever led a life group like that. And we tried to do a Bible study, and it kind of turned into a debate, and it was awkward, and, and this and that. Really? And I'm not saying this is how it happens. I'm just saying this is how it happens in my mind. Is that I can just see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As this small group of Ephesian believers are hearing this. And they're hearing about God's plan. I can see the Father saying, look, son, they're getting it. They're getting it. Even in their weakness. Even in their frailty. Even in them just, they're, they're, they're getting that our vision for them is to display our glory through them to their city, to their nation, to their nations, and to the entire cosmos. They're getting his son. And I can see the son, Jesus. Oh yes, Father, they're getting it. I'm so excited. I can see the lights coming on in their eyes and the Holy Spirit is like, yes, I'm planting these seeds in their heart. They're beginning to understand what we want to see happen through the church to display the glory of God to the entire cosmos. And even as we gather today, I believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are rejoicing over you and me in our weakness, in our frailty, but beginning to see God's plan for the church, his vision for the church is much bigger than you or I have imagined. Now, I am from, I've been sojourning in the land of big, Dallas. We have big roads. We have big traffic. We have big hair, everyone except me. We have big money. Everything in Dallas is big, big buildings, everything. But how many of you know that bigger is not always better? Okay. But God's vision for the church is not just bigger than we've imagined. His vision for the church is better than we have imagined or understood. And I want to turn your attention now to verse six. This is what Paul wants to make sure the Ephesians see. 
And what the Lord wants to make sure that we understand today is that God's vision for the church is bigger and better. Verse six, it says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I want you to focus in there on the word heir. That is the language of family. Heirs are what a father has. And what Paul is saying here is that through the gospel, through Jesus, that the Ephesians have been made children in God's family. Now, this was very different than their understanding of what they would have grown up understanding about God or the gods. You see, they lived in Roman times. And so think back to your Greek or Roman mythology class, and they worshiped all sorts of different types of gods. In fact, in Ephesus, they were famous for worshiping the goddess Artemis and they had a big temple to her. And in their view, the gods did not care about you at all. They did not care about you and you would go to the temple to worship, to offer sacrifices and prayers and hopefully say the right thing so that the gods would leave you alone at best. And maybe you could manipulate them into giving you what you wanted, a child, a good crop, a good harvest, something like that. That was their understanding of God or the gods. And Jesus comes along and he is telling a very different vision. And what he tells us is that God is a loving father. That rather than being ambivalent about people, that God loves people. And that he has come to redeem people from sin and he's come to adopt people into his family to make them sons and daughters. That he loves people and wants to provide and care for them. And if you're an Ephesian and you're hearing the message of Jesus, you're like, man, this is so much better. God is so much better than I have understood. So much better. And when Paul uses the phrase here, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, although I don't have time to fully go into what that means, Israel were descendants of Abraham, one particular family. Gentiles were a term they used to describe all the other families on the earth. And what Paul is saying here is that the gospel is yes, for the Jews, yes, it's for Israel but it is also for every other family on the earth or to use the language of revelation for people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation under the sun that want to worship Jesus, that want to follow him, that want Jesus to be their king, that the gospel is for them. And together God is adopting them into his family. That God is building a multi-ethnic redeemed family from the nations of the earth to be his heirs. Wow. Like, let that marinate on your soul for a minute. God is making them a family. And again, in Ephesian culture, you didn't really care about the person on your right or your left at the temple. You were all there just trying to get yours. But when we start using the language of family in the gospel, it's not just that God is adopting us with him as our father, but that he is making us into brothers and sisters that he is taking the enmity, the strife, the division, the hatred, the dysfunction that exists between the families of the earth. And he is breaking down those dividing walls of hostility. 
And in their place, he is filling us with love for one another. This is God's vision for the church, is that we would be his children and that we would love one another like brothers and sisters, that we would love one another in the same way that the Father loves the Son and the Spirit and the Spirit and the Son love the Father, that our love for one another would reflect that. God is building us into a spiritual family. This is our inheritance in the church. Wow. That is so much better than the Ephesians would have understood. That is so much better than what they would have grown up with. And this is so much better than oftentimes our own vision for the church. Do you know that God has made us in Christ into a spiritual family with him as our father and that we are brothers and sisters, that we share a spiritual DNA? That's a blow away. And I want to take just a minute to honor a particular group of people in our midst, our life group leaders, because our life group leaders do such a good job of taking this vision of the church being a family and making that visible and tangible all throughout our city. So life group leaders, I know it is challenging to lead life group. You take people who are very different most of the time, oftentimes might be strangers, and you're inviting them into your apartment. You're inviting them into your dorm. You're inviting them into your home. You're inviting them into your table. You're opening up your life to them. You're building a community and the spirit is at work in those life groups, as frail as they may seem at times and fragile as they may seem, the spirit is at work turning strangers into family and teaching us to love one another and making us into that family. And I wanna honor you for your time and your sacrifice and your love to make that vision visible here in our city. So if you're a life group leader, would you stand up for me? Okay, let's thank these leaders. Thank you so much for making that vision visible and helping our church. You can sit down, helping our church live out being a family together. He doesn't stop there. You know, sometimes families, you know, the mom and dad do everything or there's a sibling that overfunctions. And he's not talking about that the church family is like that. He goes on to say that we are members together of one body. So we're a family and we're called to work together that God has made us into a body, that each of us has a unique part to play and that we are to work together as a body. And he builds on that. We're a family, we're a body. And then he says, we are sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And to understand what he means here, he's referencing back to Ephesians 1, where he tells them that the down payment on their inheritance in Christ is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And what he's meaning is that for every person who is in Christ, for this church in Ephesus or our church here, that every single one of us in Christ has been given the promise of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit fills us individually. And when we come together, the Spirit is present in our midst. That we don't go to the temple, we are the temple. And when we come together, the presence of the Lord is in our midst. And I had a friend visit the church uh, here a couple weeks ago. And you know, when friends visit the church, you're always a little more like, oh gosh, I hope the welcome team is extra friendly today. I hope the worship is really good. I, you know, all those things that you think about 
when you have friends come? Well, they came and their description to us was we were undone by the presence of the Lord in this church. In worship, they were just weeping, just God's presence is here. And my friend prayed about it and was like, Lord, why is your presence so tangible here in this place, in this community? And she felt like the Lord said, there is a table that has been set here, a table prepared that you are coming into, a table that's been prepared by the prayers, the love, and the sacrifice of so many for so many years. And I want to honor the worship team, the media team, and the prayer team for all the time and sacrifice that you put in to creating a space here where people can come and encounter the Lord. So if you're on a worship team, a prayer team, or the media team, we want you guys to stand up because we want to honor you. and We want to honor your commitment. Thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the service. Thank you for the practice. Thank you for the sacrifice. You can sit down for creating a space where people can come and encounter the Lord. And I want to honor each one of you for creating a space and stewarding this inheritance that we've been given to make this an environment for people to encounter Jesus like that. That's God's vision for the church. It's bigger. It's better. He's made us into a family, into a body, and into a temple. And all those things are so amazing. And we could stop right now and be like, wow, that's a really encouraging message. I'm fired up. And I go to my car, I'm walking out there. I go to pick up a child from the children's ministry or I go to life group. And you know, someone looks at me funny or does something that I'm like, oh, wait, I don't know. Or I get busy or I get frustrated or all those things. And I can just so quickly lose sight of this. And so if we stopped here, honestly, this would be a nice little message, but we would leave it here as we walk out those doors. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I had somebody share with me after the first service, you know, this vision is, is, is powerful, but man, this is not easy to live out. And anybody that's tried to live out this vision, you know what I'm talking about. And that's why it's so important that we also remember that God's vision for the church is not just bigger than we've imagined, not just better than we've imagined, but it's more beautiful than we have understood. It's more beautiful than we have understood. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter three, verse I lost my place here, verse eight. And I want to read this to you because this part, if you, if you miss this, we're missing the main part. Paul writes, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Highlight that phrase, underline that phrase, boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of his mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. That second part, the mystery, Paul's talking about the church. And God gave Paul grace to proclaim and to teach about, about the Ephesians' inheritance in the church. And that's so important. But God also gave Paul grace to proclaim the boundless riches of Christ. And this is where we see the beauty of the church. The church does not stand alone. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our beauty is not through our, our, our great uh, slogans or one-liners. It's not through our great programs or budgets or buildings or all of those things. 
But the greatness of the church, the beauty of the church is the boundless riches of Jesus Christ. That he is the light that lights up the church. Like our hope is not in you or me. Our goodness is not in you or me. Our, our thing as a church, our beauty as a church are the boundless riches of Jesus on display through us. That we can be conduits to the light, that we can reflect his light, but we are not the light. And Paul wants to make sure the Ephesians understand where the light comes from. It is the boundless, unending riches found in Jesus. Now, I think the internet is really big. And I think Google, man, they have figured out how to map that thing out. But I learned that Google only has 4% of the internet mapped out. That's staggering, right? When we think of the internet as boundless, the internet is a speck of sand in the Sahara Desert of the majesty of Jesus, like if you're comparing size. The boundless riches of Jesus, this is God's vision for the church, is that we would see that that we would savor those riches and that we would display the boundless riches of Jesus. He is the source of our beauty. He is our hope. He is our goodness. He is our wisdom and our righteousness. And Paul wants the Ephesians to understand. I believe God wants us to understand today that our beauty is Jesus on display in our midst. Woo! I'm at least gonna preach to myself this morning. You can join in with me. I'm getting fired up. Now, I gotta tell you a story. I love stories from history that kind of help this to play out, help us to understand how this works. So in the 1700s, there was a teenager, and if you're a teenager in this room, I wanna make sure you zone in right here. There was a teenager in Germany whose last name was Zinzendorf. And he came from a family with wealth and money, and he had a great career lined out for him in the government of Germany. And as an 18-year-old, he had an encounter with the Lord through looking at a piece of art. Any art lovers in here? Any artists in here? I want you to know that God can use your art to change people's lives. And he saw a painting of Jesus on the cross with thorns on his head and blood dripping down his face. And Zinzendorf, as an 18-year-old man, was gripped, was stunned, was enamored with the riches of who Jesus was who Jesus is. As he looked at him, he saw his mercy. He saw his grace. He saw his love. And he was struck to the core as an 18-year-old man. And it changed the trajectory of his life. He said, I am so undone with the boundless riches of Jesus. And he prayed, he said, Lord, I want to use whatever I have, not for myself, but for your glory. Would you show me what you want me to do? He gets married and as a 22-year-old man, he hears about some refugees in his community that are displaced from their home. And he has a large piece of land. And so he gets the idea with his wife, we're gonna invite these refugees onto our land, these couple hundred refugees to come and live on our land. And they can start a life here and they can build a life here and they can prosper here. And he's doing that out of a love for Jesus. So you're like, man, that is a really radical step to invite a couple hundred refugees onto your land as a 22-year-old. Well, they come on and you're thinking, man, this is going to go great. It does not. There's all sorts of strife, all sorts of conflict, all sorts of fighting, both within the refugees and with him. In fact, they start to call him the Antichrist. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to do something that God put on your heart 
where you step out and it doesn't go the way that you thought. And you're like, oh, I don't know. I guarantee it's not been that people turn around and call you the Antichrist now when you're inviting them onto your land. Isn't that crazy? And so all his buddies, I'm sure, are like, hey, man, you tried. You know, good job. Pat on the back. Just tell them to move on and go about your life. But Zinzendorf and his wife, they do something very different. They began to turn to the Lord in a fresh way. They began to set their eyes on the boundless riches of Jesus. They give themselves to prayer and seeking God. God, what do you want to do? And the Lord begins to move in their hearts. And so they decide to go family by family throughout this community, the several hundred people, and they meet with people. And, I, and this is what they say. And I want you to consider this. This is what Zinzendorf and his wife said. They said, why not, why should we not turn from facing one another and facing the issues and problems that we have with one another? What if we turn from looking at one another and what if we set our face on Jesus Christ? If we set our face on Jesus, would he not lead us out from this confusion? So they began to together to look to the Lord and to behold the beauty which was not Zinzendorf's sacrifice, which was not their invitation onto the land or their great plans, but to behold the beauty that is Jesus. And as they began to look to him, God began to soften their hearts and actually make them into a family. The spirit began to break down the dividing walls of enmity and hostility they had between each other. And they began to love one another. People in the community began to take responsibility and they started working together as a body, each one contributing what they had as the Spirit worked. And one night during a prayer meeting, what was an hour or two prayer meeting, ended up going all night. Not because they had a great plan to do all night prayer, but because the Spirit was filling them and they were experiencing being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, that one prayer meeting that stretched all night, the next morning they said, well, what if... We kind of break the group up, a couple hundred people, smaller than what we have here in the church, but let's break them up and we'll pray two by two each hour of the day. That continued on, get this, for a hundred years, that prayer meeting. The Spirit was moving so powerfully. Unbelievable. As they began to pray, God began to put the needs of the nations on their hearts. And so they began to send people out to leper colonies and places where people were in need, places where they never heard the gospel. And they would send them out and their refrain, what they would say to one another was not look at us and look how awesome we Moravians are. No, no, no. Their refrain was let the lamb receive the reward of, their suffer of his sufferings. And they would go out and they impacted the world. They displayed the glory of God in their city, in their nation, the nation, the entire cosmos. And a couple hundred years later, we are still impacted, whether we know it or not, by their example. By a teenager who encountered Jesus, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. And a community who said, what if we turn from all the strife that we have against one another? And what if we turn to him and let Jesus shape us and fill us with his love? What might happen if we live out God's vision for the church. And I want to invite you to stand. Anytime we hear God's word go forward, the Holy Spirit wants to minister to us. And there are three specific types of people 
that I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to touch today, wants to speak today, wants to encourage today. Number one is teenagers. So if you're a teenager, I want you to focus on me for just a second. I know that there are so many negative things that are said about your generation. So many people that are writing you off, but I want you to know that as a church, we don't see you that way. I want you to know that the Lord doesn't see you that way. And I believe that in your generation, that God is raising up a new generation of Zinzendorfs, young men and women who are going to radically encounter the unsearchable riches of Christ. So many things in our world are trying to make you addicted to your phone and to the boundless resources of Snapchat and TikTok and all of those things. And I want you to know the boundless beauty that you're made for is that of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit wants to give you a special anointing. There's people in here today that your heart is stirred. When I was 19, I had some friends talk to me about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I had these older guys, I call them older, they're maybe 21. They seemed older to me, pray for me. And I didn't notice anything really happen in that moment. But afterwards, what I realized when I opened my Bible to spend time with the Lord, it was just like I could see new depths in who Jesus was and my heart was on fire. And what was kind of a couple pages of notes as I tried to read my Bible now turned into page after page after page as I was enamored with Jesus. And I think teenagers, God wants to do that in you. And we wanna pray for you today. If that's stirring in your heart in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come forward and we wanna pray for God to do that same type of thing in you, that like Zinzendorf, you would behold the unsearchable riches of Christ, the boundless riches of Christ. Second thing, I had a spiritual dream this week in preparing for this, this message for marriages. And there were marriages where husband and wife, you were at places where things feel stale, or things feel stuck, where there's issues that you're going back and forth and it just feels gridlocked. And in the dream, God was touching people, was giving people a spirit of wisdom and revelation to be able to behold in a fresh way the unsearchable riches of Christ. And like Zinzendorf and his wife said, what if we turn from just being gridlocked in our issues and facing each other to start facing him. Well, God wants to give a special grace to do that. And in the dream, as couples received that grace and they started looking to him, there was fresh intimacy, not just in your relationship with God, but there's a fresh tenderness and intimacy in your relationship with one another. And there was clarity on the way forward. So if you're a marriage in this place and you feel stale, stagnant, or stuck, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to touch you today and wants to give a fresh impartation of revelation of the beauty of Jesus. That that will bring tenderness and return to first love, not just to him, but to one another. Third group of people that I wanna pray for. Paul said that grace was given to him, not just to see and to understand, but to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus. And if you're here today and it's on your heart that you're like, I wanna be able to talk with people about Jesus. I wanna be able to talk with my neighbors or my family members or my coworkers and share with them about Jesus, but I just feel so nervous or so tongue-tied or I just don't know how to do that. I want you to know that God wants to give you grace today 
to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to your sphere of influence. And if that's something that's longing in your heart, I wanna invite you forward in just a moment. So teenagers, marriages, and those that are longing to be able to preach about Jesus in your sphere of influence, I wanna invite you forward. So if we can get our prayer and prophetic team to come forward and be ready to pray for people. And then Jimmy and Joe, I don't know if you guys have anything that you want to pray. Okay, I'm gonna pray. And then I just wanna invite you to come forward. Jesus, we love you. You are the beauty of the church. You are the beauty of the church. You have unsearchable riches, Jesus. And your plan and your vision for the church is bigger and better and more beautiful than we have imagined. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. And in this place, Lord, you're wanting to bring breakthrough. You're wanting to bring revelation. You're wanting to bring empowerment as we gather. And so as we go into worship, I wanna invite you to come forward. The ministry team is available and we're gonna meet with the Lord together.